You have reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. Can you believe we've been friends for seven years? And it all started because I compared you to Alana the Lioness. Tamara Pierce really set the tone of our friendship. A love of magic. Briar Moss. Fantasy. Briar Moss. Powerful women. And of course, Briar Moss. Moss. I'm Anna. And I'm MJ. And we invite you to join our circle of friendship. Where we do a chapter-by-chapter deep dive into the Circle of Magic series by Tamara Pierce. We answer important questions like, how does Moonstream let certain dedicates take care of children? Can you imagine anyone else but Mandy Patinkin playing Nico? Knives, Briar. And Knives! Join us every other Monday at cofpodcast.libsyn.com or wherever you download podcasts. But seriously, Knives... to see three, four, perhaps even more women on the high court bench. Women not shaped from the same mold, but of different complexions. Welcome back to United States of Women, season four. Mm-hmm. Second episode of the great state of Georgia. I'm Elizabeth. And with me is the ever-wonderful Jessica. Hello. And this is Geek Elite's history podcast about all the women you didn't know you knew. You never knew was. You never knew was. (laughs) As we talked about in last week's episode. Uh Uh-huh. Doing the great state of Georgia. Uh Uh-huh. As is common throughout doing historical podcasts. Yeah. There are always problematic historical figures. Because they belong to a history in which people had opinions as a whole. (laughs) Well, that were not ideal. Also, because, you know, people are just generally shitty. (laughs) Yeah, that too. People are shit. So, you know, I I struggled with it this season. Okay. About who to keep and who to cut and who to not talk about because of their racist uh-huh. and in this case also sexist views. Um eh, yeah. And, and yet how, how you talk about it is you teach it as being wrong, you know, and you're very critical of the race theory. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so very upset about critical race theory at school. That's fine. I, I am fine with you using this platform to, uh, <laughs> to discuss this issue. You can't ignore that people are not black and white. Yeah. Either. Like, you can't... Everybody loves Abraham Lincoln. Everybody who's studied history and really studied him knows that he only did the Emancipation Proclamation to win the war. Well, yes. You no. know, it's it's not like he was like, yes, I'm going to free all the slaves. No, he, he tried to get the South to surrender before that without doing that. 
So well, and yeah. <laughs> and not only that, it only applied to those who were slaves in states that were still having that were still not under union control at the time that the Emancipation Proclamation went into effect. So it did yes. not actually free yes. all the slaves, but that's, that's an entirely <laughs> different podcast. That's yes, a is, whole other podcast that we don't have time to do, but somebody out there in this universe should do it. Take on, you know, all the historical fallacies. Mm-hmm. So, I kind of decided, you know, talking with you and and where we wanted this to go, I decided if there was something that they contributed mm-hmm. that had nothing to do or was almost antithetical to their racist or sexist views, if that makes sense, like if... It had nothing to do with their opinions, I guess. Well, like, it's not like they... Or even if, like, even better, and in some instances in this case, mm-hmm. were despite themselves. Like, they were trying to be racist and then screwed themselves up. Okay. <laughs> you think... They could be considered. It's like, oh, what is it, like, cognitive dissonance, basically? Yes. Like, you think this way, but... You don't do the actions of it? Correct. Okay. So that's kind of, I was like, that. then we can at least get into a discussion and discuss all of their bad parts. Mm-hmm. But they still contributed something to society. So in that vein, today's episode is about the problematic botanist. Problematic botanist. Botany. I know that. That's plants. (laughs) (laughs) Bingo. You hit the nail on the head. Um, (laughs) So we are talking about Eliza Frances Andrews, who went by Franny. Okay. Okay. So Franny was born August 10th, 1840, to Anullet Ball and Garnet Andrews in Washington, Georgia. Her father was a lawyer, the county judge, Mm -hmm. and a plantation owner. I think I'm saying these opinions. I think I'm seeing. Well, so here's. Garnet's going to get interesting. Okay. Okay. Not less problematic, just interesting. Okay. Okay. She had several siblings. She was the second daughter. Mm-hmm. And she had at least three brothers. Because those are the ones that I can find in her story. But the implication is there were a lot more. Hmm. Her father was adamant that all of his children be educated. Okay. And critical thinkers. So he fostered dissenting views. Okay. Okay. For a long time. Uh, Franny was sent to attend seminary in Washington County. Mm -hmm. And she would end up graduating first in her class 
at LaGrange Female College in 1857. Cool, cool, cool. Where she greatly learned about literature, music, and the arts, and was conversant in both French and Latin. Ooh. So your true general liberal arts education. Yep. Uh, as was common at the time, after graduating, she returned to live at home with her family. Obviously, based on dates, you can tell this is about the time that secession started. Mm-hmm. Her father, Mr. Garnet, mm-hmm. was an adamant and outspoken critic of secession. Okay. And so I it's hard to nail down his exact opinions because most of the like internal thinking we have of him and records is actually Franny's memoirs mm. called a um The Wartime Journal of a Georgia Girl, which she published in nineteen oh eight but wrote in 1864-65. So everything is taken with a grain of salt. <laughs> but generally he felt that secession was not the answer to the disagreements and the problems. He It does not appear that he was in any way an abolitionist. Just that secession and war was not the answer. Probably that, more like, we're not going to win. It, yeah, the, the impression I get is that, well, things change, and they're going to change, and what we need to do is figure out a way to make this as... Smooth a change as we can. Yep. Continue to protect our interests, but not necessarily, you know, there's wiggle room. I probably looked at the other countries in the world at the time and was like yeah we're kind of due for this yep so but at this time Eliza or Franny and her siblings were all however staunch supporters of the secession and the confederacy well they're young dumb (laughs) (laughs) young dumb racist um young dumb racists so this became the first real contention in Franny's life because for the first time her father began, quote unquote, suppressing different her views and differing views in his house because he would not allow his children to discuss secession in his home. I mean, he's not for raising them to think critically then, but okay. Well, so this was that was her contention. Yeah. In any case, honestly, I have kind of the same relationship with my father. Like, our, a lot of our things do align, but my dad raised me in that he wouldn't tell me his political opinion at all. He wanted me to make my own. But now it's just led to a bunch of random clashes. <laughs> <laughs> Having done this slightly earlier with my father, because we're both very loud and opinionated. Uh-huh, yeah. It, it'll pass. <laughs> you, you'll come out the other side. It'll be fine. Oh, no. um, <laughs> in any case, uh, three of her brothers went to 
fight for the Confederacy in the Civil War. And of her own account, again, large grain of salt here, she and her sisters secretly uh, sewed together the Confederate flag, the first Confederate flag in their county that would be raised above the courthouse. <laughs> Which, by the way, didn't look like the Confederate flag that you guys are currently flying. Oh, correct. <laughs> Very different. Yeah. But we sewed it. Yeah. Anyway. What a brag. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, a, what a weird, weird brag. So in 1864, she was uh, sent to her older sister's property in southwest Georgia. Okay. Because Washington's in the northern part of Georgia. And she recorded her journey and stay in a journal that would later be published as the wartime journal of a Georgia girl, 1864 to 1865. Um, and this was her first foyer into writing. In 1865, mm. she would actually be encouraged by her father, Sue, to submit the first published work she did, which was an article entitled A Romance of Robbery to the New York World. (laughs) She sold it to New York? Yep. And called it A Romance of Robbery, and I assume it had something to do with it. It described the mistreatment of Southerners by the Reconstruction administrators that were now in control of the South. I told you, a very problematic person. Uh, yeah, but I, I kind of understand it because things would have gone differently if certain people were in charge of it. Yes. But. So, <laughs> um, after the publication of that, she would write for several years um, on a variety of topics, including women's fashion, a piece on Catherine Littlefield Green. Uh, who was behind the success of the cotton gin, the invention of the cotton gin. Oh, all right. Somebody we will probably be talking about when we get there. Yeah. Um, So she spoke on, uh, she wrote on all sorts of things. Her life of luxury, or at least comfortable life, Mm -hmm. dramatically changed in 1873 when her father passed. Mm. And then not long after, her mother. And her father left the family with several bad investments. Surprise! Which caused the sale of the plantation. The only home she'd ever really known. So she got even a little bit more bitter. (laughs) Because, you know, why not? Mm -hmm. And... So she took a job uh, as an editor at the Washington Gazette. Yep. However, when the editor-in-chief discovered she was a woman, she was promptly fired. Welcome to the South. (laughs) Um, So from there, she... uh, went back to Washington County. Or mm-hmm. sorry, no, she first went to Yazoo, Mississippi, 
where she became the principal of a girls' high school. And she remained there for seven years. And then in the early 1880s, she became sick. And so she went, she, she left that to recover. In 1882, she began serving as the superintendent for Washington T- County's Girls Seminary. Okay. Which is where she had gotten her education as a child. Right, right, right. And during that time, she received an honorary master's degree from Wesleyan College in, Ma- in Mackin, Georgia, in 1882. After that honorary master's degree, she decides to jump all in on this whole Ivory Tower College scenario. Okay? Okay. And she starts teaching at Wesleyan College. She teaches literature. She teaches art. She works in the library. And it's here that she meets the head of the botany department at Wesleyan College. There's the plants. Okay. (laughs) Which sparks her interest and knowledge in the field of botany. Now, she claims that her love of plants and botany stem from childhood being raised on a plantation and in the country with all of the plants around her. Okay. But she hadn't really known what botany was so Mm -hmm. botany because again you and i go oh plants but other than that i i mean i don't know about you what do you know about botany well it's the the science of plants and their origins and i think their medicinal properties sometimes and their biology and all that stuff it's it's a big science that has little mini sciences within it as well. And that kind of like geology also has earthquakes and then also fossils. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. So botany also called plant sciences. So yeah, it's all of the things <laughs> plant biology or phytology is the mm-hmm. science of plant life and a branch of biology. So it is literally everything, everything plants. Everything plants. It's just like, like, why would you have such a large field? But okay, whatever. So. Well, what's the narrow down for her? Well, her, the narrow down is native southern plants. Correct. Which, yeah. which we'll, we'll get to that. Because this is where she kind of, despite herself, <laughs> provides solid contributions to all of humankind history. Uh, (laughs) the earliest form of botany is herbalism Mm -hmm. okay and we can trace back the use of plants by humans Mm -hmm. to at least 10,000 years ago in the little Tennessee River Valley generally speaking for firewood or for food that's the curating of plants and herbalism. That's as far back as we can go. We see it in many ancient writings and plant classifications. Um, some of the earliest botanical works have been in ancient texts in India. 
dating back from before 1100 BCE. And this is just when we started recording stuff, too. Correct. Because there is a giant, giant, giant chunk of time in which we didn't record anything. So Yes. Ancient Egypt, archaic Avestan writings, and in works from China purportedly before 221 BCE. Mm-hmm. The current study of botany uh, traces its roots back to ancient Greece and Specifically, I'm going to butcher this name. I hate Greek names. Theophartifus. Fartifus? <laughs> I'm not laughing, but you said fart. <laughs> I, well, T-H-E-O-P-H-A-R-S-T-U-S. Yep. Theophartus. Theophartus. Yeah. Here, I'll let you look at it. <laughs> My brain doesn't work that well then. Oh, okay. Theophrastus. Theophrastus. Theophrastus? Yeah. Theophrastus. That's how I would pronounce it. I have no idea what the ancient Greek pronunciation would be. But Not Theophrastus. A um, he was a student of Aristotle. That's a much easier name for me to pronounce. <laughs> a much more known, known name. Um, and he's widely regarded as the father of botany. Because uh, he was the ancient Greek father of botany. <laughs> correct. And he produced works called... Botany. Inquiry, inquiry, in, inquiry t- into plants, on the causes of plants. This is just like a guy that's just eating all the leaves. <laughs> just like writing down, almost poisoning himself. He's, he's an ancient Greek foodie. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> yes. He's an ancient Greek foodie. Um, most of the important contributions to the botanical science really kind of kick off in the Middle Ages and almost 17 centuries or, and kind of forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the mid-16th century, botanical gardens were founded in a number of Italian universities, uh, the most famous being the Padua Botanical Garden mm-hmm. in 1545, usually which is considered to be the first still in its original location, so you can still go there now. Ooh. Um, these gardens had not only beautification value, but also practical value. They were used for physics and medicine Mm -hmm. and all sorts of other things. Then you have the German fathers of botany. (laughs) Surprise, Uh surprise. A third wave. Yep. Ancient Greece, Renaissance Italy, then Germany. (laughs) Yep, pretty much. Uh, And again, I'm going to be, I'm going to butcher these. Leonhardt Fuchs. Otto Brunfels and Hieromonas Bach. Bach. Mm-hmm. And they broke away from just kind of reciting mm-hmm. older stuff to actually making their own original observations. So that's why they're really considered the fathers of modern botany because... They didn't look at the ancient texts. They were just like, those people are crazy. <laughs> we're going to go actually like do our own stuff. Yeah. Um, then in 1544, the physician Valerius Cordus authored uh, 
Historia, Historia Planetarium, which was the basically dictionary <laughs> of botany. Of botany. Okay. For botany and pharmacological herbal remedies. Okay. Basically, here are all the plants and here's all the things that they do. Cool. Obviously, during the 18th century, plant identification and the dichotomous keys start coming into play, which revolutionize botany as a field. The discipline of plant ecology as a mm-hmm. subfield of botany was pioneered in the late 19th century. And we've essentially just kind of been building from there. I mean, there's a ridiculous amount of information on the history of botany because it is so large. Yeah. Um, but as we get to today, there is a growing emphasis on the phylogenetic relationships between plants. Basically, what's what really genetically tweaks different plants to create different things. And one of the easiest plants to experiment on with this is marijuana, actually. Or cannabis, actually, as it should be called, because that's what it is. <laughs> um, it likes to be manipulated. Yes. So we've, we've moved into the genetic realm for botany in, in most recent... Um, history of botany. Obviously, botany is really important because it deals with all of the plants around us and, and food. All of the things, more importantly, all of the food. Yes, and so, the drugs. That is generally the study of botany. Now, Franny's contribution to botany. Okay. So I'm gonna get back to. I'm gonna zero in on her. Okay. So Franny's at Wesleyan College. She's teaching all these things. She runs into a botany professor and she goes, oh my God, I'm so fascinated. Like, this is so cool. Is that how it went, Franny? Is that really how it went? Can I see a picture of this botany professor? (laughs) (laughs) Well, so, I mean, I was going to get to this towards the end, but one of the distinct things about Franny is she never married. Okay. She was single her entire life. Despite having the stance that... A woman's job was to get married, have children, be a domestic housewife. Yeah, no, women in general, yes, you have to, not for me. Exactly. So. <laughs> Which is so this is where you go that her things just kind of don't mesh well with what she's doing. But then again, and not to insult her character, but like just because you remain single your whole life doesn't necessarily mean you chose to remain single <laughs> your whole life. I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry because you're racist. <laughs> um, <laughs> so from there, she educated she, herself as well. What the? Okay. Yes. So from there, she began to really hone her skills and study botany and publish a ridiculous amount of botany textbooks. In 1900, she left Wesleyan College and she returned to Washington County, Mm -hmm. basically hell-bent on teaching high school science and turning serious attention to botany. And she really wanted to make botany relatable to rural students 
And so she really drew the connection in most of her textbooks between botany and agriculture. Yeah. And so that's where her biggest contribution comes into play because she wrote a significant numbers of textbooks that were used for a long time in high schools, middle schools to teach children about botany in relatable ways. Mm -hmm. Her first textbook was published in 1903 entitled Botany All Year Round, aimed specifically at a high school audience and Mm -hmm. was particularly useful for rural schools. It contained activities and labs aimed at attracting these schools to a low-budget scientific discipline. Cool. And teaching students the world around them. She then wrote a practical course in botany, her second textbook, aimed at college and university students and stressed the relationship between botany and more practical fields such as agriculture and economics. Then she wrote Practical Botany, which was internationally acclaimed and translated into several languages and used in Europe as a textbook as well. Honestly, it sounds like witchcraft to me, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, she was also nominated to be a member of the Italian International Academy of Science, oh. although she was too old at the time to travel to Naples and accept the honor by the time she got it. Yeah. Uh, she, during this time period while she's writing all these textbooks, she is working very closely with botanists from Alabama Polytechnic Institute in Auburn, Alabama. Now, Auburn. Yeah. <laughs> And she also attend, uh, spent a summer at John Hopkins University, mm. immersed in research. Pharmacology. Mm-hmm. Uh, then in 19, well, just after, after the publications of her books in 1911, mm. she retired from teaching. And began to focus strictly on the research. Okay. And collecting. And in 1910, she donated her collection of 3,000 specimens to the Alabama Department of Agriculture. About 810 of those specimens are still on, are still in collection at Auburn University. Um. Her focus in particular, and this is where I say she uh, hosed herself despite of her racist views, a lot of the specimens she collected and her real focus on botany and teaching it mm-hmm. more practically to the South is to essentially capture antebellum South and preserve it for the future. So all the plants and stuff from it. She basically took her racist views and was like, well, I'm going to save all the plants from Antebellum South so when the South rises again, like we'll have all the plants. What she really hosed herself in is the fact that now these plants are used across cultural, political, racial spectrums mm-hmm. because a number of these species no longer exist because they'd been farmed out of existence. Yeah. So despite her... <laughs> Racist views, she still managed to produce something that all of mankind can use. 
She then died January 21st, 1931, in her home in Rome, Georgia. Okay. So that is the... Not necessarily positive, but positive li- the life of Eliza Frances Andrews, Franny, the problematic botanist. Um, a couple of big pieces are the fact that she never married, never had children, um, however believed that that was the purpose and highest calling for women in general. Well, that's also what... All the men of the South were telling the women, because that's where you get the antebellum ladies yes, looking the way that they look. Correct. The South tried to hold on to that image. And she was a staunch (sighs) anti-suffragette. But you literally, like, you educated yourself. You're a critical thinker. You're a woman trying to get jobs that men had. But, like, other women? No. Just me. It's yep. very egotistical, I suppose. Like, I'm not a suffragette. I don't want all women to be able to be editors at a newspaper, even though I'm really pissed that I didn't get to be an editor at a newspaper because I wasn't a man. Like, you, it's literally, she's obviously not that critical of a thinker if she can't realize well, the reason why you can't become an editor is because you're a woman and that's wrong. So. Because you deserve it. So, and then the other big question and contradiction that historians have put forth uh, regarding Franny is the fact that it is unclear if she became so highly educated because of her love of learning or because she had no other option with the falling of her plantation Um, and that she may have gone a more traditional route had she not been essentially forced to work yeah that and like maybe she is a critical thinker and the thought that if i'm gonna survive here in the south and stay in the south i might as well just pretend i am of the south yes like she really could be like that because i mean we don't know we weren't there she could have secretly hated herself and her views who knows Um, the other piece that I found highly entertaining is in her introduction of a wartime journal of a Georgia girl, mm-hmm. because it wasn't published until 1908. Oh, okay. Oh, right. Yeah. So it was published in 1908. She edited it. Now, she claims she took out the superfluous and unnecessary um, inclusions of romance or feelings or any of those things that children only think about (laughs) um (laughs) however in the interests of integrity she left in the grammatical errors and the logical fallacies (laughs) what lady (laughs) i took out all the good fun entertaining stuff (laughs) So, that is, uh, but I'm a woman, therefore I can't write correctly. Maybe she was doing it all to protect herself. Honestly. Yeah. That sounds like a woman that was trying to, I don't know. She's dead. She can't comment on it, can she? No. Um, so in speaking of, in, in all honesty and completeness, she also included um, 
several pieces of her writing. Uh, she was a proclaimed socialist and wrote an article for the International Socialist Review concerning socialism. Okay. But her version of socialism had a strict racial separation and basically mandated that a black man's progress should not impact... They should, they should figure out how to improve themselves without impacting the white man's culture and society. Like, you go do your thing over there. Um, and she was heavily supported by the Ku Klux Klan. Um, in a lot of her writings talking about the need for a color line and a separation of the races. So... All right, I'm going to stop trying to find the good in her. <laughs> yeah, she was not a positive person or a good person. However, we did get some fantastic educational pieces on the field of botany from her that are relatively free of that has nothing to do with people that has nothing to do with her racial issues i mean obviously it definitely gears itself more towards the rural students so it definitely favors rural over urban so there is mm-hmm. some of that obvious political uh leaning but they do not have as much in terms of political leaning in the racism or sexism issues. Uh, references. Obviously, uh, Eliza's own journal that she published. Mm-hmm. The Georgia Women of Achievement article on her. Uh, Eliza Francis, quote, Franny Andrews, botanist, educator, and writer. Uh, she was inducted into the Georgia Women Achievement in 2006. Her famous quote, uh, by the way, is, Oh, the slavery it is to be a woman and not a fool. That is the most god yep. damn suffragette sound. <laughs> what the? What's wrong well, with her? Yeah, Lady. That's a good question. The other citations include... Uh, the Evolution of the South, Eliza Francis Andrews, General William T. Sherman, and the Green Interpretations of the Civil War, <laughs> um, done by Tamira Elaine Birch, uh, which is her thesis to the graduate faculty at Auburn University mm. for a degree in the Master of Arts. Mm. So, that is Eliza Francis Andrews and the history of the field of botany. Jessica, if people want to talk about how do we deal with pro- with uh, problematic, pe- actually, if people want to discuss the uh, importance of critical race theory, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter as JM Bailey writes, and. If you've got any ideas on how to best deal with problematic historical figures, you can find me with the rest of Geek Elite Media at Geek Elite Media and our Facebook page forward slash Geek Elite Media. Archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts can be found on our website, geekelitemedia.com. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us. It's been a long day been a long day jessica uh wherever you get this podcast as it helps others find us and get to know us 
if you've got a couple extra dollars, jump on over to our Patreon page. Uh, this season, we've got several new exclusives on the Patreon for this podcast. Plus, there's all sorts of other fun little sides and extras on our Patreon page that are coming up all the time. Mm-hmm. But until next time, this is the ladies from the United States of Women from the Geek Elite Media Network saying, always remember to geek, geek out. out. This concludes our broadcast. Beep.